Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Kelly Silifau. Father, we thank you for this Sabbath, these holy hours that we have come to, Lord. We've been looking forward to these holy hours. This is the climax of our week. And we have come together in holy convocation in accordance to your word that we ought to do on the Sabbath. And Father, we look forward to sitting at your feet this evening and learning from you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide, to lead us and guide us in all truth, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, to bring clarity and understanding of our true condition so that we may confess our sins and that when we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that nothing will come between the soul and the Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you'll have your way Forgive us of sin that may hinder you from listening or answering this prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10 is the text we're going to begin with this evening as we continue with the theme he promised. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And we're going to take a look at verse 7. Revelation chapter 10, we're going to take a look at verse 7. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. amen. Revelation chapter 10, and notice what the Bible says in verse 7. The Bible says, uh, follow along as I read in your hearing. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be what? will be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. The Bible tells us here that when the seventh angel is about to sound, the mystery of God would be what, everyone? Would be finished. I consider this a promise. Amen? When God said something, it's going to come to pass. When he promises something, it's going to be fulfilled. And so we're looking at this, and the Bible says again that right before the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, the mystery of God would be finished. Now, of course, a logical question would be, what is the mystery of, of God that is going to be completed? So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verse 26 and verse 27. Colossians chapter 1, we're reading verse 26 and verse 27. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 26 and verse 27. Just let me know when you're there by saying amen. amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The question is, what is this mystery that's going to be complete at the, at the, uh, uh, at the sounding of the trumpet of the seventh angel? Notice what the Bible says. The mystery, verse 26, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is 
Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. This mystery God promises shall be complete in his people. The mystery is Christ in you, the, the hope of glory. And so I don't know about you, but I look forward for this mystery to be complete in me. Amen? Do you wish for this mystery to be complete in you? God is waiting for his character to be perfectly reflected or re re reproduced in his people so that he can then come and take us and claim him as his own. And so I wish for this mystery to be complete in me, and I hope that is for you too. But this promise is contingent upon this one. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5 and verse 8. The Bible says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We talked about uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 in the valley of dry bones, and we saw that there was prophesying that was done by Ezekiel according to God's commandment, and that when the prophesying uh, was to come forth, it would bring the breath into this uh, uh, bones that in which flesh have come upon it, and it formed this great army. And we talked about how this army would be an army of young people. Amen? And so we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our young people. We're talking about today this mystery that must be completed in God's people, and this mystery cannot be completed in God's people without the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For what? For power. So we can be witnesses where? To the entire world. What the young people need desperately today is the promise of the Father of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, a servant of the Lord tells us here in True Revival, page 9, uh, paragraph 1, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our second work. Amen? It should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow His blessing upon us, but because we are what? Unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that Ask him. It goes on to say here, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. While the people are so destitute of God's Holy Spirit, they cannot appreciate the preaching of the, of the word. But when the Spirit's power touches their hearts, then the discourse is given will not be without effect. Guided by the teachings of God's word with the manifestation of his spirit in the exercise of sound discretion, those who attend our meetings will gain a precious experience and returning home will be prepared to exert a healthful influence. What do you say? I pray that this is our experience when we come to these meetings. Amen. What we need, what the young people need today is the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Son of the Lord says here in early writings. It says, time is almost finished. Do you reflect the lovely image of Jesus as you should? Then I was pointed to the earth and saw that there would have, 
there would have to be a getting ready among those who would have late embraced the third angel's message. Said the angel, get ready, get ready, get ready. Ye will, have to, ye will have to die a greater death to the world than ye have ever yet died. I saw that there was a great work to do for them, but a little time in which to uh, in which to do it. The basic, what, if you were to look at this quote, what is it really talking about? First, it's talking about that time is what? Is almost finished. And notice what work should be done. It says here that at the bottom of the quote, it says, a great work needs to be done for them in a little time. What is that great work? What is it? Yes, but uh, I like to make it more simple. The answer is in the quote itself. Yes, it's reflecting the image of, of Jesus. In other words, that mystery being completed in us. Amen? So the, 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 the essence of this quote is talking about two parts, basically, summing it up. Time is almost finished. And what, do we reflect the lovely image of Jesus as we should? Because it's a great work to do in a little time to make a sinner into a saint. I'm pretty sure that as you're going on your Christian journey, you'll see that it's a, it's a great work to take someone who completely is into the world and make him to look just like Jesus. And only through the Holy Spirit can that happen. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. So, questions. What in the Bible can represent time being almost finished and developing the image or the character of Jesus? Amen? We're going to look in the Bible. We're going to look at images that the Bible uses to describe time being almost finished and an image that describes the developing of the character of Jesus. Is that all right? So let's look at the first one. What in the Bible can represent time being almost finished. Notice what the Bible says, Matthew 24, verse 3 and 6 to 8. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Verse 6 to 8. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of what? The beginning of sorrows. Now I'm going to break that word sorrows down here. Well, I can just tell you now and then uh, uh, show you afterwards. But the Greek word for sorrows there is the Greek for sorrows there is the Greek word odin. What's the word, everyone? Odin. The Greek word odin means birth pangs. Uh, I think the more modern word uh, is contractions. Yes? Uh, so that's the word odin. That same word odin is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a what? So this same word Odin is translated to this phrase. Are you following? So let's break it down. Matthew 24, 6 to 8, the word sorrows is the Greek word Odin. It means the pain of childbirth or birth pangs. You see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 to 3, it says, as labor pains upon a what? A pregnant woman. In other words... The final events of Bible prophecy that is to occur according to prophecy right before Jesus comes, it's going to happen in a way that's similar to contractions. 
We've all heard this before, yes? We've all been to those meetings, uh, evangelistic meetings. Well, you've heard the evangelist preach about this, right? Where these final events, when they happen, they happen with more frequency and with more intensity. Are you following? Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know that you're about to give birth when your contractions happen more frequently and with more intensity. You know the what? The baby is about to come out. Are we together? So it's using this picture of mom about to give birth to describe that time is almost finished. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? So what imagery is the Bible using to describe time is almost finished? It's a woman that is pregnant. Following so far? Next one is, what in the Bible can represent the developing of the image or the character of Jesus? Notice John chapter 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the... He cannot enter the kingdom of of God. In other words, this process of being born again, uh, uh, this process of developing God's character is being used in the context of, again, a woman giving birth. Everyone following? So uh, you can also see this in the book of Revelation chapter 12, where it starts off there, look at verse 2, then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who was this child, everyone? And so notice, then when you jump to verse 17, that same chapter, the dragon was wroth with the, and went to make war with the remnant of her, of her seed. So you see this transition of Mary and Jesus, and then it transitions to the church. Are you following? This church that gives birth to a seed. What seed? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What's the commandments of God? The commandments of God are his character. The church reflecting his, his character. This woman who gives birth. And you see that the, the, the child developing in, in, in a woman or in a mother, the child being developed in there is like the process of developing God's character. Are you following? So uh, uh, again, developing this image or the character of Jesus, what we're looking at here is that in John 3 verse 17, this born again picture, this woman of giving birth, but you also see that same picture in the book of Revelation, where you see this woman who gives birth to Jesus, but this same woman is giving birth to people who, have, who keep God's commandments or have Christ's character. Are you following? So therefore, the, what in the Bible can represent the developing of the image or the character of Jesus? It's a womb that, that, is, that is pregnant. Everyone following? So the same image is being used to time is almost finished and developing God's character. The same image is being used. Everyone following? So the pregnant woman is likened unto time is almost finished and the development of Christ's character. Great work in a, little, in a little time. So this is what we see right here. Notice uh, education, page 225. It says, character building is the most important work ever entrusted to who? Any humans in here? To human beings. And never before was a diligent study so important as now. Never was any previous generation called to meet issues so momentous. Never before were... Young men and young women confronted by perils so great as confront them today. So my question to you is, 
what kind of baby are you developing? Because you see everyone, everyone is going to give birth. It de but are you going to give birth to the character of Christ? Or are you going to give birth to the character of the enemy? It depends on what baby you're developing right now, based on your choices. Your choices you make every day is developing a certain type of character. And you have to ask yourself, what type of baby or what type of seed is in you? And I pray that it is the seed of the word of, of God. But you know what happens sometimes in our Christian journey? We fall asleep. Not literally, although you can literally fall asleep while the sermon is going on. I see it all the time. I'm pretty sure uh, Brother Sebastian sees it all the time too. But I'm talking about spiritual sleep. Do you know what happens when you fall uh, asleep spiritually? Notice what it says in Matthew 13. Go with me there. Just turn real quickly Matthew 13. Matthew 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13. Notice what it says here in verse 24. Matthew 13. Notice we're going to start reading here in verse 24. When you're there, just let me know by saying amen. Amen. Verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his... Verse 25, But while men slept, what happened? His enemy came, and what did he do? So tares among the wheat and went, his, and went his way. You see, what happens is when we sleep spiritually, based on our choices... Guess who comes and sows a different seed in you, which will develop the wrong baby? Are you following? That's why the prophesying, remember we talked about Ezekiel yesterday? How when he prophesied, there was a shaking. Thereby, therefore, Ezekiel gave a shaking message. But the shaking message wasn't designed to shake people out. God designed that message to shake people in because after he preached or prophesied, there was a shaking. The bones came to... It was a uniting message. But it depends on how we respond to it. Are you following? But so here, notice here again, when we, based on our choices, make bad choices, we fall asleep spiritually, the enemy comes, sows the bad seed, and therefore developing the what? The wrong baby. Are we together? This is what we're looking at here. You know one of the biggest things that, that, that sows the wrong, what the devil uses to sow the wrong baby? This thing right here. See this thing right here? And then we have portable versions now. Right? We don't even have to come to our living room. We have portable versions. This is one of the biggest things that the devil uses to sow the wrong seed and causes us to be asleep. Right? And then we have programs on there and then this puts seeds in our minds. Do you know why a lot of things, you know why a lot of people when they watch TV and they say things like, oh, I don't see nothing wrong with that. Do you know why a lot of people say that? Because it's in seed form. You won't notice there's something wrong with it until it grows and it becomes this ugly plant. And like, whoa, how did that happen? Well, it started with the seed. And then when it's in seed form, it doesn't look like it's harmful. Are you following? It doesn't look like it's very harmful. And so therefore, we're like, there's nothing wrong with it until the thing fully grows in your character. How did I end up cursing and all that and I wasn't taught to curse? 
How did my pants go from here to down here when I wasn't taught to wear my pants like that? How did my skirt go from here? Well, maybe not that well, but you know what I'm saying. Right? How did it go from there to all the way up here? Right? The seeds were sown. The very things that you're putting into your mind that you don't think anything is wrong with, it's sowing the seed. And the thing is, when you sow the seed, the devil loves to water that seed. And then it grows and grows, and then next thing you know, you're, not, you're unrecognizable. Not only to other people, but, uh, but you're unrecognizable uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to yourself. How did I become this way? Are you following everyone? So we're talking about seeds here. When I, when I was uh, younger, uh, I watched this guy, right? And uh, when I watched this guy, there was a scene uh, that, that came forth in one of, uh, in one of the, the, the movies that I had watched. And in this scene, these wizards, they battle each other. And then when they battle each other, the, one of the wizards used this, this word. Do you want to know what, the, what one of the wizards, uh, what, what word one of the wizards used? Do you want to know? It was this word right here. The wizard said, stupefy. Are you following? Stupefy. But watch this, stupefy, right? And then this word stupefy means to make someone unable to think or unable to feel what? Properly. Watch this. Notice uh, 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 Harry Potter or the wizard's wand was made out of the holly tree, according to the story. Are you following? And where do we get wood from? We get it from trees. So therefore the wand was made out of And the devil is taking Hollywood and saying, stupefy. And then when our young people come to church, they can't think while the sermon is going on. They don't feel appropriately how they should feel about the gospel. And so they're bored. And when they're bored, youth leaders then scramble to do something crazy up here to get their attention. They need to do something with Explosion, something like, uh, some of the background to get like, oh, I like this. They can't stand just somebody with the Bible open having Bible study because they're bored. You know why they're bored? They're over desensitized by this stuff. The answer is not to be creative in our youth to make them pay attention. The answer is to turn this off. Amen? Amen. It's really simple. And it's a lot uh, easier on the youth budget. Come up with all that stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? When this really, when it's really just turn it off. And so we're talking about seeds here. Notice it says, "I saw evil angels contending for souls. Angels of God resisting them. The conflict was severe. Evil angels were corrupting the atmosphere with a poisonous influence and crowding about these souls to what everyone stupefy their sensibilities. Holy angels were uh, anxiously watching and waiting to drive back Satan's host. She says here, there is no influence in our land more powerful to poison the what? And what is the character made up, everyone? It's made up of our thoughts and our, our feelings. That's what the character is made of. That, that's include the imagination. Poison the imagination to destroy religious impressions and to blunt the relish for the tranquil pleasures and sober realities of life, then what? Oh, nobody wants to say it. You don't want to say it? Then theatrical amusements. The love of these 
scenes increases with every indulgence as the desire for intoxicating drink strengthens with its, with its use. Going on to say here that we must guard the senses, lest Satan gain victory over them, for these are the avenues of the soul. You'll have to become a faithful sentinel over your eyes, ears, and all your senses. She says the same thing here, here in this quote. Moving on, Luke chapter 1. If you need the quotes and I'm going too fast, just let me know. I just got to really move on because my time is running out. Amen? Time is almost finished. And I have a great work to do in a little time. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, 34 to 35. Bible says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of the virgin's name was who, everyone? And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled in this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with... And behold, you will conceive in your room and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will what, everyone? And the, of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of... Was Mary old or young? She was a young woman. That fascinated me because I was like, wow, it's like maybe God scoured the land and said there is not one old, older woman that was uh, maybe acceptable in God's sight to carry the, uh, that he had to look to a young woman. Amen? No offense to our uh, older uh, women. I'm just stating the obvious. Amen? I mean, he must have scoured the lands like, nope, 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 nope. Okay, Mary, you're it. A young woman. To do what? To carry the Son of God. Young people, you are this young Mary. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and put a seed in you. That seed is the word of, and you're going to develop a baby named Jesus, his character. Are you following? You're this Mary. Moving on here, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come and worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and what? All of Jerusalem. What does this mean, everyone? They weren't ready for the first coming of Jesus. Because when the wise men came and says, hey, where is he to be born? They're like, what, he was born? That's what it means when he, the, the king was troubled and all of Jerusalem. They were not ready for his first coming. But notice it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be Born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so uh, when the question was asked to the, who was it again? To the, the chief priest and the scribes. Hey, hey chief, who are the chief priests and the scribes today? Who, are the, who would be the chief priests and the scribes today? Who? 
leaders, right? Leaders, pastors, right? You can, I would say, include in the, the elders in there, throw them in there too, right? So the, the, the pastors, elders, leaders, come here. Where was Jesus supposed to be born? Did they know the answer? Where did they find the answer? Right? And not only that, they had access to the information, yes or no? So this was a people that basically, if you were living at that time, right before Jesus was born, the message should have been what? Get ready, the Savior is coming. But obviously that message wasn't being preached in the synagogues, obviously, because nobody was ready. Are you following? But did they have access to the information? Yes. Do we have access about information about the soon and coming of Jesus? Yes or no? As, a, as, a, as an elder or a leader or a pastor, should I not preach a message about Jesus coming again so that people are ready? Yes or no? But it didn't happen back then. Do you think history will repeat itself? Well, you'll have pastors not preaching messages, getting people ready for Jesus in return, but preaching other messages that make him warm and fuzzy all in their sins. <laughs> Amen? I'm just, I'm just stating the obvious, a lot of what's happening, uh, it, but no time to go in that. But notice it says here, it goes on, and was there a sign that Jesus was born? Uh, what sign was that? Uh, was that thing big? Do you think people would have saw that? So uh, I, I'm imagining myself back then, I'm like, wow, what's that? Interesting. That's kind of like the signs of Jesus coming that's all around us, and we're like, what's that? Oh, that's interesting. And the thing is so obvious. Are you following? The thing is repeating itself. And so I don't want that to happen to us, so that's why we're all here. But anyways, keep on going here. He was troubled, but notice... Then Herod, when he secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. It said here, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and its districts from two years old. And where did he get the two years and under from? Where did he get it from? Which he had determined from where? Remember he said, when did you see the star? So when the answer was given to him, he determined that kill all the boys who are two years in. In other words, there was a high possibility Jesus was born already for two years and they missed it. Are you following? <clears throat> but what we're talking about here is we need to develop Christ's character by a certain time. Are you, are you following? In other words... Some people might be saying, why can't Jesus just delay it? He's the God of all time. He doesn't have to rush it. Give us more time so we can develop. Amen? But in the context of time is almost finished, right? It's likened unto a pregnant woman. Yes or no? Church family, that's like telling a woman, can you not give birth after nine months? Can you just wait until 12 months, give it more time? Is that logical? Yes or no? Remember, God has set time and boundaries for things to happen at a certain time. Amen? And so when things are supposed to happen, they happen on God's time. God already ascertained that a woman after nine months give birth. After a certain time that God has allotted, and we don't know what time that is, amen? We don't set times, we don't set dates, but God has allotted a time. And when that time happens, baby must be born. And I pray that whatever baby you're, you're giving birth to is the right one. Developing Christ's character. Moving on here. Notice here, there's this picture that, and I've got five minutes wrapping it up. There's this picture here. 
It says here, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be de delivered, and she brought forth firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the, in the inn. Now, what can be likened unto the inn? Now, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan was who? Represented Jesus. Amen? He took the guy who was hurt and he took him where? To the inn. And then Jesus says, hey, take care of him. Any more that you spend on him, when I come back, I'll repay you. So who does the inn represent? It's the church, right? He says, hey, take care of him. When I come back, Remember the, the Bible says, uh, uh, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is, is with me. So he's, the, 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 the church can be the inn. Amen? And so notice, Joseph is going along this, uh, well, notice what Desire of Ages says, But in the city of their royal line, Joseph and Mary are unrecognized and unhonored, weary and hopeless. They traverse the entire length of the narrow street, from the gate of the city to the eastern extremity of the town, vainly seeking a resting place for the night. There is what? No room for them in the crowded inn. This is like an inn. And Joseph is coming. Joseph is coming. Ready to that. Joseph is coming, and he's knocking on the door, right? And he's saying, hey, do you have room for, for me and my, my pregnant wife? Did you get it yet? He comes into the church, knocking on this church, saying, Hey, do you have room for pregnant woman? Time is almost. Do you, re do you reflect the lovely image of... Do, do you have room? Nope. All packed. Goes to another church. Now, the inn can also be likened unto someone's heart. Now, what's interesting about this is that Joseph's name means he will add or he will increase. Joseph is coming. Joseph can be likened unto the Holy Spirit who seeks to increase Christ. John says, you must decrease and he must increase. Do you have room for this pregnant woman? Time is almost finished. Do you reflect the lovely image of Jesus as you... As you should. Do you have room? Nope. Go down to where the animals are. And what's interesting, if you do a study on animals, what the animals can represent, remember Peter's vision? Everyone remember Peter's vision? The animals come down, the cloth is as Peter, rise up and, and eat. And who are those animals to represent? The first shall become last, and the last shall become... Isn't that what happened to ancient Jews? They rejected it, and the gospel went to the Gentiles. If we rejected this, this will go to the spiritual Gentiles through the loud cry, and they'll take it. Are you following? Do you have room? Do you have room for this woman? Do you have room is the question that each of us has to answer. He must increase, but I must decrease. decrease.
as we see uh, the time, uh, signs of the times happening around us. Now, of course, I must say that time should not be your primary motivation to come to Jesus because the story of the gospel is lovely all by itself to come today. Amen? But should we consider time, yes or no? That's like people, they always ask me, hey, when are you going to get married? Because you're not getting any younger. So should I go get married because time is almost finished? Should that be my motiva main, motiva main motivation? No, I should get married because I love the woman, yes or no? But should I consider the time? Yes or no? Same thing here. So when we talk about time is almost finished, we should consider the time. It should not be your primary motivation to be one with Jesus. Amen? Did you learn something today? Yes. Sorry if I spoke really, really fast, but I'm going to... But I hope by God's grace, the Holy Spirit punched that thing into you. And I hope by God's grace, you have room for this pregnant woman through the, through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you so much for the promise that the mystery shall be finished. And I pray that it will be finished in each and every one of us in this place, that we would reflect your character fully, that the last message of love and mercy to a dying world is a revelation of your character of love. May we have the seed of Christ in us. May we develop his character. And by God's grace, may it be finished in all of us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au.
That was Marlita Fong with Captive to the Call. Next up, we have Eastwood Music Camp with Fight the Good Fight of Faith. But thou, O man of God, plead these things and follow
to God's Favorite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favorite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is about a man, a very important man. His name was Phicol. He was commander of an army. And the subheading is A Witness to Weakness. The story is based on Genesis chapters 20, 21 and 26. My name is Phicol, but my story is about someone else, Abimelech, king of Gera, a major city of our time in the southwestern area of Canaan. I am the commander of his army. Both King Abimelech and I knew the great patriarch Abraham and his son Isaac. It is their relationship with us that is the reason for my story. In our day, communication was mainly by word of mouth, and how efficient was that method? We had heard that Abraham had travelled many years ago from a town in Chaldea and had finally moved into the general region of Canaan after first staying at Haran. Canaan, a grandson of Noah, was the first to settle in this part of the world after the Great Flood. He was the ancestor of many tribes, particularly the Jebusites, whose main city was Salem, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, and others. One day our scouts told us that Abraham's large household and his thousands of livestock had come into our region of the country seeking new pastures for his flocks. He had told our people that the senior woman of his family was his sister. The word got to King Abimelech that Sarah, as that was her name, was very beautiful. So the king, always seeking to add to his household of wives, sent a deputation to Abraham's tents, seized Sarah and brought her back to the king's residence. However, Before he had any relations with her, the great God of heaven told him in a dream that very night that if Abimelech touched her in any way, he would be a dead man, for she was, in fact, another man's wife. Abimelech protested that Abraham had said that Sarah was his sister. What he had done was in all innocence. Even Sarah had said that Abraham was her brother. Abraham's God knew this, and that is why he told the king what he said to prevent him from touching Sarah. Otherwise, he and every person in his household would have been killed. As soon as the sun arose the next day, Abimelech told his servants what had happened overnight. This made them all very afraid, thinking they may lose their lives. Abimelech called Abraham to him, and reprimanded him for being deceitful about his wife. He challenged him to give a good reason for saying what he did. Abraham explained that because the people of that area did not believe in the God of heaven, the God he worshipped, he thought he would be killed and another man would have his wife as she was a beautiful woman. Trying to excuse himself, he said, "'She is my sister, for she is my father's daughter,' but not my mother's daughter. I told Sarah 
to say wherever we travelled that she is my sister to avoid trouble for us both. Not wanting to prolong the confrontation between himself and Abraham, King Abimelech returned Sarah to him. He also gave Abraham livestock and servants and told him to choose a suitable area of the countryside around Gera and stay there for a while. Less than a year after this event, we heard that Sarah had borne Abraham a son, whom he named Isaac. Knowing how old Abraham and Sarah must have been, the birth of a child to them must have been the surprise of their lives. Soon afterward, King Abimelech advised me to assemble a band of armed men to accompany him on a visit to Abraham. He confided in me that he wanted to enter into a covenant of peace with this great man. This was a common practice in our day, which ensured our enemies would be reduced to a minimum. Everyone in our times knew that a covenant or an oath must be honoured at all costs. Thankfully, Abraham agreed to Abimelech's proposal of peace and said, I will certainly swear to be at peace with you. However, that was not the end of it, for Abraham used this opportunity to raise a matter that was of great concern to him. He said that some of Abimelech's men had commandeered a well that really belonged to Abraham. This was a major challenge to him, as it made it much more difficult to ward his flocks and other livestock. King Abimelech was shocked to hear about this. It was the first time this matter had been raised with him. So the king agreed that the well was to be restored to Abraham, and in response, Abraham gave Abimelech seven young ewe lambs to the king, saying, This gift is a witness that I have dug this well. So the covenant was formally made between King Abimelech and Abraham. That place thereafter was known as Beersheba, meaning well of the oath or well of the seven. Many years have passed since the events I have just related. Isaac is now a grown man, married with a beautiful wife whose name is Rebekah. A serious famine is in the area of the country where he was living, similar to the severe famine in Abraham's time. His God had apparently told him not to go down to Egypt to find relief, but to stay in our part of the country where he would be greatly blessed. Again, the men of our people couldn't help but notice how lovely Rebecca was and asked Isaac about her relationship with him. He replied that she was his sister. That answer sounded familiar. His very own father had said the same thing in similar circumstances many years ago. After Isaac's family had been residing in our part of the country for a considerable time, King Abimelech passed by Isaac's house one day and saw through a window that Isaac was caressing Rebekah as no one but a husband and wife does. King Abimelech called Isaac to him and questioned him by saying, You cannot fool me. I can see that Rebekah is your wife, and so why did you say that she is your sister? It seemed that Isaac had not learned from his father's mistake, for he gave the same reply when he said, I thought a man might kill me so that he could have her. 
To which the king said, Well then, what disaster would have come upon us if one of our men had lain with your wife? By that act we would all have become guilty. The king then issued a formal edict that anyone who improperly touched Isaac and Rebekah would be killed. I relate these incidents here, for they seem to tell me several things. First, otherwise good men can make serious mistakes. Second, both Abraham, whom all peoples greatly respected, and his son Isaac should have trusted the God they served to care for them when they thought they might be in imminent danger. Third, good relationships between people are important, for by this everyone benefits. Fourth, fathers should not be too proud to tell their children about the mistakes they have made, so these may be avoided in later generations. I, Fikol, am recording these words on clay tablets, which is what we do in our times to ensure that what we say is not lost forever. Perhaps someone in years to come may read what I have written here in Gera, one of the many cities in Canaan, far from the great places of the earth when the nations of the world were still being formed and what the future had in store for us was still unknown. I have a brief quiz for you. Phicol was the general of whose army? This man was the king of which city and in which nation? Why was the king unhappy with Abraham? How were Abraham and Sarah related? What was Isaac's wife's name? And why was Abimelech angry with Isaac as well? You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.